Heavenly Father, we humbly acknowledge our need for the Gospel. We humbly recognize that uh, apart from uh, what You have done for us in Jesus, we would be uh, alone in this world now and forever. And uh, because of Jesus, You have made us fully alive. And because of Jesus, we are not only fully alive now, but we have the hope of eternal life. And so we rejoice and we thank You. And Father, our hearts are filled as we consider what You have done for us. Would You cause us this morning as we contemplate it more to just be happy about it? Would You cause our hearts to be full? And God, we, we need You to work in our lives that we might have the right attitudes, that we might have the right understandings, but more than that, that we might go from this place Uh, and do the right things. So God, would You help us in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and to turn, please, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we'll read this morning in uh, verses 16 and 17, which are... Uh, the thesis state it is a thesis statement for the book of Romans. <clears throat> and while you're turning there, I want to acknowledge that <laughs> I want to acknowledge that we have a problem with uh, Romans chapter one verse sixteen. It says, um, "For I'm not ashamed." Of the gospel. As you may know, the word gospel means good news. And the problem that we have with good news isn't merely that it's good. That, that may be a problem. But it is a problem that it's news. Unless you've been asleep for the past several months, you are probably aware that there has been a lot of fake news. In fact, fake news is, is such a real thing. I mean, I just thought I would, I would look for some for an illustration. They found 177 million hits on fake news. It is a big enough problem that the... Word of the year in 2016 is post-truth. And so here, I am a pastor. Here you have your Bible open in front of you and it says, I have good news. And I mean, if you're like me, you're saying news. Is this, is this real news? Is this fake news? But at least I want to acknowledge that what, what the fake news has done for us is it has put the focus on what you're supposed to do with news. It has put the focus on whether or not you can actually believe the news. You see, before we just sort of took reporting for granted, you know, and there was maybe somebody that was, 
you know, courtside or the ringside and they would they would be doing this play by play. And then there were some other people who were back in the studio and all dressed up. And we just assumed that the news was, you know, real. But what's happened in 2016 and now we're faced with it today is. Are we going to believe the news? That's really what it comes down to, uh, that it's really that question that makes someone a Christian or not. Are they really going to believe this news about Jesus or are they not going to believe the news? It really comes down to being that simple. And so, we're going to be talking about the news this morning and I just want to acknowledge the fact that this this news this news is to be believed and it's it's we're not making it up it's been around a long time it has been proven to be true it is historically verifiable and so i'm going to submit to you the good news of jesus christ for your belief this morning Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so here we have the kind of the central idea of this entire book that focuses on the Gospel. And it suggests that we're going to have to believe it. Now, it starts out by saying, I am not ashamed of the Gospel. Okay? Shame is real. Some of you, when it comes time to thinking about the Gospel, you, you get real nervous. Okay? If, you're, if you were to talk to a neighbor about it, or if you were to talk to a friend about it, you'd be real nervous about the Gospel. Okay? Not so much talking about being nervous about the Gospel. But he's talking about the reality that If Jesus Christ died for sinners and the benefits of His righteousness are free and you don't have to work for it and you don't have to keep the law, then a number of questions arise. What's going to make people be good? How are you... What am I going to do with my years of maybe... Uh, in this case, being a Jew, what am I going to do with my um, all of the years of trying to be a good person? And people are going to kind of throw that back at the Apostle Paul. He has a he has a a problem in that, and this, it's hinted at at the bottom of this verse to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's hinted at that the gospel of Jesus draws a divide between Jews and Gentiles. And his 
and he's a Jew, and, and his countrymen, his relatives, you might say, were shaming him for saying that their religion, that, that keeping the law no longer mattered. And so he felt ashamed in some regard, or he, they were trying to make him feel ashamed of the gospel. And he's saying, I'm not ashamed. In fact, it's, it's funny that he would start out the book by saying, I'm not ashamed. And I would just want to say, well, what are you then? Okay. And, and this is, um, this is a customarily Jewish way of speaking. I am not ashamed. So he says, I am not ashamed, meaning I am just the opposite of ashamed, actually. I'm quite proud of the Gospel. Or, I'm excited about the Gospel. Now, I, I say that because uh, when we have um, in the book of Acts, my favorite example is in the book of Acts, there was a riot in the city because um, they were trying to condemn Paul and he was preaching the gospel, and, and the Jews got all fired up. And there, in, in, in the book of Acts, it says there was no small disturbance. Okay, <laughs> that's uh, you know our news, our right, our real news, not our fake news. Could have said the same things the last several uh, weeks about some of the disturbances uh, in our country. There, there was no small disturbance, meaning there was an enormous riot or protest. In other words, he's saying in a diminished sort of a way the opposite of what he really means. He really means, I'm excited. Okay, I, I thought this, you know, I didn't think much of this, but uh, until my son got married and I just caused his wife all kinds of grief because of my, I would say things like, well, that's not the worst idea I've ever heard. Okay, and, uh, or, you know, <laughs> something like that. And what I meant was, that's a really good idea, right? So I'm trying to, like, be scriptural when I talk that way. <laughs> and I learned that, that that's a fairly stressful way for a father-in-law to talk. And so my apologies, Andy. I love you. And I'm sorry for having done that to you. Um, <clears throat> But I meant more than a little humor when I did that, just so you know. For I'm not ashamed. That's, that's, the, that's his way of saying he's excited about the Gospel, which, which not coincidentally is what we're trying to do at New Life Church. To tell you, you know what? We're excited about what God has done for us in Jesus. We're not ashamed of it. We're excited about it. So it's just the opposite of the way that you might read. Oh, boy, golly, he's just sort of there fidgeting, trying not to be ashamed. It's just the opposite of that. He's, he's so fired up about it that he says it in the, kind of the opposite way. I'm not ashamed, he says, of the Gospel. Now, I, I don't want to assume there's, a, there's a, several technical words through here. The Gospel is one of them. And it simply means... Good news. 
Okay, a, a, a translation, it's a compound word. The first part of the word means good. The second part of the word means news. And it means good news. Okay, not fake news, not real news, but good news. And what you do with news, and we've learned this recently, right? Is you either believe it or you don't. And so, the first thing you need to know about the Gospel is it's good news. The second thing you need to know about it is the central aspect of the Gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he's passing along to them what is of first importance that Jesus died and was buried and rose again according to the Scriptures. That's the Gospel. That's the heart, you might say, of the Gospel. The center of it. The, the, the circle in the middle of the bullseye of the Gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus because it is in that one act that God has really accomplished the entire good news that He wishes to communicate to us. So when I say the entire good news... Uh, the implications that come to us because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are broader than simply one historical act. Okay? Another way you could think of this would be to say the Gospel is good news. It is the story of God from beginning to end. From the beginning of creation to the end in heaven... Okay, from eternity past to eternity future, the Gospel is the story of God. And I just want to rehearse it for you because I want you to be familiar with it as you think about it. it. begins at creation. In fact, the book of Romans picks this up. The very next verse, 18 and 19, it says there that from the creation of the world, the deity and uh, or, uh, the divinity, the divine nature of God has been clearly seen. His power. And so, God is clearly seen in creation, no doubt. But it is the fact that He is a Creator and He made us for a purpose. To find our identity not in the fact that we are a good husband or wife, not the fact that you're a good businessman, not the fact that you... Uh, earn a lot of money, not the fact you're a good athlete or a good student, but rather the fact that your identity is in re- your relationship to God. Okay, that's that's the, the good news of creation. The good news of creation is followed quickly by the fall, okay? which is, the, you might say, the bad news component of the good news. And it is the fact that human beings rejected God. They rejected being uh, created by God and being subject to God. In fact, this is picked up also in chapter 1 where it says they worshipped the creature rather than the Creator. And there is this exchange that takes place in human beings when we decide to, to make ourselves the center of the world. And Adam and Eve did that. God said, you shouldn't eat of the tree. They said, okay, we're going to eat anyway. 
And sin entered the world. And in the first part of the book of Romans, fills us in on what the implications are that human beings have sinned. And if uh, you recall from the first pages of your Bible or from uh, our study of Genesis last year, this just had immediate and catastrophic um, ramifications. In the first family, one brother killed another brother. In the, the first family, there was all of a sudden uh, pain associated with childbirth and um, pain associated with labor, with work. And families of the world became separated. And there became racial divides, and there became uh, gender issues, and there became all the th- all of the brokenness that we experience today finds its roots there in the fall of Adam and Eve, in the expression of sin that is detailed in Romans chapter one, verse three. This is the story of God, and this brokenness is uh, part of human existence now, and that's the way that God tells the story. But God doesn't leave us with that aspect or with the bad news. Instead, He sends a Redeemer. He sends His own Son, Jesus, to save us from our sin. To rescue us from this brokenness. And what happens then, I mean, this is in Romans chapter, chapters 3, 4, and 5. It's extremely, in fact, it's the clearest place in all the Bible about what God is doing in Jesus to make this redemption clear. And one of the reasons that we need to get clear on it ourselves is because there's so many other things that people believe, so much fake news about how you recover from this brokenness. You see, that's really what it is. It's fake news. Somebody will say, if only you have a happy family, then okay, you won't feel broken anymore. Do you know what? You do feel broken. And you know what else? It's your brokenness that causes the family not to be happy. But the news is there that that's going to make it better. I... I think a lot about the news that I believed when I was a young young man that if I was only a successful athlete, then I would be happy. Do you know what? That's, That's fake news. That's just completely fake news. Yeah, the, the, the Patriots looked happy the other day. But there was there were a lot of athletes that were not on the Patriots team. And the fake news that these other things can save you, that just dominates our news feed, if you will. And we have to decide which are we going to believe. And some of us, some of us do, <laughs> do with the good news what we do with political news. It's just like, oh, I can't take this. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to believe any news. I'm just going to medicate. I'm just going to numb myself to all the noise around me. 
And some people try to adjust to their brokenness by medicating themselves out of their pain. By checking out altogether. You see, this is the story of God. And, and Jesus is the way. When, when we put Jesus at the center and, and, and Jesus does for us what God says He'll do for us, guess what? The brokenness is fixed and we're restored to the place we were created to be. And that's really kind of the last chapter of this good news. Is you believe in Jesus as your Savior, then you have a promise one day that all will be restored. That's the new heaven and the new earth. That's what heaven is about. Is that God will restore this world to what it should be. And the injustice and the war and all of the division and all of the personal pain is gone. We're restored to a right relationship with God. And the ultimate fruit of that is in heaven. And the beginning of that, the first taste of it, is right now, after you believe. You believe this good news, God begins to give you taste after taste. He begins to, to be transforming you right now so that one day you'll be ready for all things to be made new. And so, <laughs> that's probably more than you wanted on the Gospel. But um, it's certainly not more than is necessary. And it's certainly not more than I could say. But I want you to begin to realize that this is the Gospel is not just the, the way you get into being a Christian. Oh, I believe Jesus died for my sins, therefore I'm a Christian. That, that is true. That is the way you become a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to believe it. Okay. But those of you that do profess to be believers, you need to know that that very same truth that Jesus died for your sins is as important to you on day two and day five and today and tomorrow as it was at the very beginning. That right now, my only hope of getting this right is that I'm not trusting in my religion, that, that's kind of a false redeemer. That religion's going to help me. I'm not trusting in um, money. I'm not trusting in my family. I'm trusting in Jesus alone. Still the same belief in the same Savior or Redeemer that, that is part of this Gospel for me today as it was on that very first day. And so, we're... That's why I spent more time on the Gospel because all of us need it in large doses every single day. For I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. This is why we need it. This is why we need it every day. It is the power of God for salvation. Okay, this, in this respect, the good news or the Gospel is different than political news. It's different than world news tonight. It is different than the Wall Street Journal. Because the Gospel itself is the power of God. The Gospel itself changes you. This good news about Jesus is transformational as you receive it. 
It is the power of God. The, the Bible talks about this Word of God being living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. In Isaiah 55, it talks about the, the Word accomplishing what God sent it for. And so, we trust it. That's why, that's why it's my hope that you'll bring your Bibles every Sunday. You'll have them on your lap. That's why I show the Bible up here. That's why you hear me all the time say, why don't you read your Bible at home? Do yourself a favor. Okay? Get in a life group. Open a Bible with other people. Do yourself a favor. Because it is that Word, that Gospel, that itself is powerful. So you say, I've never experienced the power of God. I don't feel like there's much power here. I just kind of go you know, to church and nothing seems to happen. Okay, you know what? It's, it's the Gospel that's power. It's not your religion. It's not your weekly practice. It's not... Even your habits, it is the gospel. And, and to embrace it and to love it and to believe it, that's when it changes you. So I commend it to you. For your salvation. Now, salvation is a technical term okay, in, in Christianity. We talk about salvation. Salvation, and, and this is sort of the, again, I'm going to talk about the bullseye here on the word and then a little broader application of it. The, the bullseye in the word salvation is the great deliverance from guilt and pollution of sin wrought by Jesus Christ. When you talk about somebody getting saved, it means that their sin problem is solved by Jesus. Their sin problem is not solved by themselves. The sin problem is solved by Jesus. That's the essence of what it means when we say to be, when we talk about being saved or salvation. Okay. Just like that's the heart of the gospel, Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again. And the heart of salvation is the deliverance from guilt and, and pollution of sin. You could also say that there is another concentric ring that says salvation is the whole process by which man is delivered from all that would prevent his attaining the highest good that God has prepared for him. Okay, these two definitions, by the way, are from two different Bible dictionaries. And the idea being that to be fully alive, like we're talking about with the book of Romans, to be fully alive is to receive this salvation so that the good that God would give us can be ours. Because we are saved through faith in the gospel. So ultimately, it has to do with the problem of sin. And sin is that which would keep us from attaining the highest good. The wages of sin is death, it says in Romans, later on in Romans. And so, sin is the problem. And salvation solves that problem. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. It's the power of God of salvation to everyone who believes. This is, this is really a simple and beautiful statement. This comes to everyone who believes. It doesn't, it doesn't come to everyone who works. It doesn't come to everyone who keeps the law. It doesn't come to everyone who is religious. 
It doesn't come to everyone who is good. There are good people who do not receive this salvation. Because this salvation comes to everyone who believes. The condition of salvation is faith in Jesus. It's really that simple. And so, we can confidently say like He says later in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay? Salvation comes by faith. Okay? The good news about Jesus, that He died, was raised from the dead, that good news, you have to believe it as opposed to what other fake news might promise your deliverance. You believe it. And when you believe it, you're saved. It's really that simple. Because Jesus can solve the problem of sin just like that. And what this does then is it gives you a different level of certainty. A different level of confidence in your salvation. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people I talk to, and I, and I might say something like this, when you, when you die, are you certain you'll go to heaven? And they say, I hope so. Okay. What, I hope so tells me that somewhere in the back of their mind, there is some level of performance necessary to make it into heaven. Because somewhere I have, to, I have to be good enough and I hope that I am good enough. It does not reflect the, the belief or the confidence, on the other hand, that Jesus is good enough. Because if I believe that Jesus is good enough, I'm good. I'm in. You will be saved. It's that simple. Then he says, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Okay, I want you to know that this is a racial problem. Okay, not unlike what you might read in the newspaper. This racial problem was caused because um, Paul took the Jewish Scriptures and found in them the Messiah and proclaimed the Messiah from the Jewish Scriptures. So the Jews were upset that it was no longer the keeping of the law, but that it was just that Greeks or Gentiles could believe it just as easily as them. And so there was racial conflict in the church where there shouldn't, shouldn't be, right? Well, say no. But there was. And that's, if there's an occasion for the writing of the book of Romans, it's the fact that there is a divide between Jew and, and Greek. And here he says the Jew first and also the Greek simply because it came from the Old Testament Scriptures. It came, or our Old Testament. Not the Jewish Old Testament. It's all of their Scriptures. right? came from the Jewish Scriptures. And so they had first access to it. But because it was their Messiah who now saves Gentiles or Greeks, they got it first, then the Greeks. It's really that simple. 
But the reality is, it comes to everyone. Just like it said in, in verse um, 14, where it talks about the, to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish, doesn't really matter. It, God is not a respecter of persons. And there is no racial advantage now to this Gospel. Now we all have the same access to it through Jesus. Well, the first reason that I'm, that I'm excited about the Gospel, or not ashamed, is that the Gospel is the power of God. The second reason is that in the Gospel, okay, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So two things are happening. God's power saves people who believe. That's the first reason. The second thing that happens here is God reveals His righteousness. Okay, it turns out that righteousness also is a technical word. Okay, it is a characteristic of God, meaning the condition of being right. Okay. See, theology isn't as hard as it, you make it seem. Right? God is right. He is morally right. He is uh, scientifically right. He is, he is right in every regard. Okay? It's the same thing. Other translations of the word right, righteous or righteousness talk about being just or being justified. It's the same kind of... Well, same Greek word is translated those two ways in English. To justify something is to bring it right or to line it up with what is right. And so, what is happening is that God who is right is making people right. That's, that's what happens in the Gospel. People do not make themselves right. God makes them right. That's why it's the righteousness of God. He is making people right with Himself. Or justifying them. Okay? Justification is the same idea. For the, for the righteousness of God is revealed. It is revealed how to be right with God from faith for faith. Essentially, beginning with faith, and ending with faith. So that, this, so that this religion, this Christianity, is a life of faith. From beginning, from faith, to the end, for faith. It's the same phrase that you would use if you said from morning to evening. From faith, for faith. In other words, the whole thing is by faith. I am made right with God only on account of believing that God will make me right. So, it is written then, the righteous shall live by faith. This is a quotation from Habakkuk 2.4. It is his, his proof text that God justifies people by faith alone. So He doesn't justify people who do pretty good and take them the rest of the way. He justifies people who don't do good. He justifies people who do good 
He'll, but no matter who it is, he justifies them only by faith. And I want you to notice that the righteous will live by faith. So it doesn't say that the righteous get saved by faith and then they get religious and they work really hard at keeping the law. Now, I just take aim at that because some of us grew up with that impression that the rules change once you, once you kind of pray the prayer that gets you saved. They don't change. It's from faith in the beginning and it's for faith in the end. So that when we're talking about being fully alive, we're talking about being fully alive because I believe the Gospel. The Gospel the gospel is the way that I experience all that God wants to give me. And I experience it by faith. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, this isn't anything new. Some of you are sitting there thinking, this sure sounds easy. It is easy. It is easy. That's the whole point of it. To be fully alive is easy because it's accomplished. The work of it is accomplished by somebody else. The problem, the thing that makes it hard, is fake news. We're all in the process of believing something else. We all struggle to believe the Gospel because we were, we're told at work that you get a promotion by performing. And so we take that, those rules and we bring them back over here to trying to be a Christian and we find out that that's the wrong news. Or we take the rules we learn at school and we say, if you do your homework, you'll get good grades. And we say, oh, okay, I've got to go home and do my homework. I've got to keep going. And we realize, wait a minute, that news doesn't work here. And so we're all, and, and I'm, I'm blaming work and school. I could blame a hundred other sources of fake news, right? There's all kinds of sources of fake Gospels out there that cause me to believe something other than the fact that Jesus has done it all and I, from the beginning to the end. And when I believe that, I'm fully alive because the just shall live by faith. The work is believing the good news. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we do, we do want to believe this. It is so good, it's almost unbelievable that the work has been done by someone else. Lord, we believe. Would You help our unbelief? Would You help us to walk by faith, not by sight? Would You help us to realize 
that Jesus is really that good. Bless us as we struggle to believe, I pray. Amen.